Our scripture today comes from 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 12. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Matthew Watson. I'll take that. I'll, uh, I serve as uh, the pastor here at Christ City Church. Uh, today's Mother's Day, so I do want to give a, a shout out to the moms in the room. Um, just a quick word. Yeah, shout out. Shout out to my mom, Dion Watson, uh, who sometimes listens by podcast. Uh, when you're the pastor, you get to shout out to your mom on the podcast. Um, the, the work of a mother, is a, it's, a, it's actually quite a, a holy endeavor. And so if you're a mom here, I pray that you have a sense of uh, celebration from your family and most especially from the Lord today. Um, one of the chief aims of a mom is to point her children towards faith in Jesus and to, dis- to display to her children the unconditional love of God, a, love who, a God who loves perfectly with mother love. Um, we might not often think of God in motherly images in part because the predominant image in scripture uh, of God is a masculine one, but it's not the only one because God is neither male nor female, God is spirit. Uh, And God is described in the Bible and at times uh, in motherly terms. Um, In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah uh, uses several maternal images to describe God. In one of the more moving sections of Isaiah 66, God says through the prophet, As a mother comforts her child, so will I, God, comfort you, and you will be comforted, O Jerusalem. Jesus himself, when aching for the people that he came to save, he uses a maternal image when he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. Mothering is a a crucial and it's a sacred um, uh, aspect of God's nature. And so it's right for us to celebrate moms today. Uh, and I also want to acknowledge today that um, today can be hard uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, for some, uh, our mothers have passed on, and so today is a, both a celebration of their lives, but also a regrieving of our loss. Uh, for some, your relationship with your mom is a fractured one, and so today it serves as a reminder of that brokenness, and others of you long to be moms um, and well. God has given you so many other gifts. The gift of children hasn't been won. And so today remains a celebration of disappointment. And so whether your celebration today is sobering, what I most want for all of you and for all of us is to celebrate that we have a heavenly parent who loves us perfectly, who delights over us infinitely, who poured himself out for us extravagantly in Christ. And that's the thing that I want to put in the middle of us today. So happy Mother's Day. If your mom's around, give her a call. But mostly I want you to experience the love and overflowing um, delight of God this morning. So just let me say that. Um, This past week, Lisa and I have been in Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, I I feel like at that point I should ask anybody here from Vancouver. I I don't think so. You should go. It's a beautiful place. Lisa, uh, some of you know Lisa is quite famous. 
Um, and so she was speaking at a, <laughs> it's embarrassing, perfect, happy Mother's Day, babe, sorry. Um, so <laughs> she was speaking at a missions conference for the Christian Missionary Alliance up there. For, uh, uh, it was their missions conference for uh, young leaders from, from the U.S. and Canada. We had a remarkable week there. Um, and uh, we weren't really familiar with uh, Christian Myth Missionary Alliance, with their denomination, though some of you may have grown up in that tradition. Um, at any rate, it was just a beautiful time. We just really experienced just, just a, a move of the Spirit as we were with them, just a really, uh, just an experience of, of God's presence and um, just his sort of upending of some things that we had been wrestling with and uh, just a way where he was just completely gracious with us, surrounded by amazing beauty. Um, and so I'm just really grateful that we were away. Particularly, I want to uh, just express gratitude to the staff who carried so much of the water while I was gone for eight days. Um, glad to be back. If I have not returned your emails, I'm sorry. I'll get to them later. <laughs> Maybe. Um, for the past five weeks, we've been in a sermon series where we have been um, asking the question about how does Jesus help us in our everyday battles? Um, how does Jesus help us? How does, he, how does he meet us? How does he strengthen us? How does he guide us through and empower us to overcome the everyday, mundane, persistent battles that we regularly face? Um, it, it's not an exhaustive list, but uh, what we've looked at, we've looked at disappointment and doubt. We've looked at worry and money and busyness, these things that occupy so much space in, in our minds and in our hearts and emotions. And uh, these things that keep us up at night and put us on our knees in prayer. And some of us in the midst of waging war against some of these things have been driven to places, frankly, of desperation. And so we've asked over and over these past weeks, how does Jesus help us gain some measure of mastery over these things that we wage against day after day? And today what I want to do is to simply just put a period on this uh, series that we've had by helping us gaze again at Jesus, even in the midst of these struggles. And what I mean by that is to help us orient our attention and our attitudes towards Christ. And in so ordering, we will find that we're better equipped to face the battle ahead. Um, the passage that Melissa read was from the New Testament uh, letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in the Greek city of Corinth. And Paul would write several letters to the church in Corinth, and we have two of them called 1st and 2nd Corinthians. The passage that I want to focus on is from the letter that we call the 2nd Corinthians. The church in Corinth was actually quite a dynamic church. It was a young, it was a growing church, it was in a very cosmopolitan city, and it was quite diverse. Uh, the church had begun to see people uh, convert to faith in Christ and had come out of Judaism. And they began following Jesus. And then they also began to see people convert to Christianity um, out of uh, a Greek and Roman pagan backgrounds. And so uh, you have both of these very different cultural and religious backgrounds, those that Christ animals as sin offerings in Jerusalem and those that worship gods and uh, goddesses of the Greek pantheon. All of them, they, they heard the good news. They heard the liberating news of Jesus and they began following him and found their way into one of the network of house churches throughout Corinth. And this letter that Paul writes, it would have been circulated around to that network of churches in Corinth. And Paul's dual aims in writing to this diverse urban body of believers was one, to challenge them to continue in the faith in which they were anchored, and number two, and especially to encourage them in that faith, to both challenge them but to also primarily to encourage them. And the thing that the Corinthian church was experiencing was that they were experiencing pressure and stress and strain and even persecution. 
You see, within the church, they're wrestling with unity because the thing is, if you get people from different backgrounds and different cultures and you put them all in a room, they don't just automatically get along immediately. Surprise, <laughs> right? They were still bringing many of their old ways, their, their old habits, and at times their idols into the community of faith. Because coming to Jesus doesn't mean that immediately all of our junk disappears. When, when I come to Christ, it might not mean that my impatience or that my lust or my greed or my manipulation evaporates immediately. When I say yes to Jesus, I might not immediately abandon my idols. Coming to Christ means I'm freed from sin and sin's possession of me. But learning to walk in that freedom is an ongoing act of discipleship. I grow in my walk of freedom even as I'm freed from sin immediately. And that's what was happening inside of Corinth. Inside this young, dynamic, growing church in this urban context, they were growing in their understanding of and experiencing of an experience of freedom in Christ and freedom from brokenness that's found in them. But there were pressures outside as well that were weighing on the church. External factors. Those that began following Jesus, if they were from Jewish backgrounds, then they began facing persecution and exclusion from their families of origin. Families that then believed that they had abandoned the faith of their ancestors as they followed Jesus. Those that had come to faith in Christ from Greek and Roman backgrounds, they were beginning to be viewed as treasonous to the empire, abandoning the culture and nation of their countrymen. And what was simmering around this early church was a culture of disdain and oppression and persecution. Yet it's into this context that Paul begins his letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we have received from God. What Paul calls the church's attention to immediately is the presence of the God who comforts. God comforts in the midst of, of relationships when things are hard and feel broken. God comforts in the midst of a world when the weight of its pressures are down on you and you wonder if you'll ever find a friendly face. Before he begins to address the challenges and he gets to those quickly, he wants to center the church in Corinth and I would add us as well. He wants to center the church on the truth that in the midst of every battle and everyday battles is the God who comforts and comforts us in all our troubles. After commending the church to the God of comfort, Paul does turn his attention to the challenges facing him and his church family. Just a few verses down in verses 6, 7, and 8, Paul just begins highlighting the challenges. He says in verse 6, If we are distressed, it is for comfort and salvation. You, just as you share in our sufferings, he goes on to say, We are under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. What Paul is identifying is the ways that they collectively are under the enemy's attacks. He notes that there is distress suffering and pressure and Paul says it's so much it's even far beyond what we can actually endure on our own and the thing is Paul he's not just giving a like a like a pep talk here like he's not just sort of kind of rallying the troops rather he's identifying with the pain of those that he loves he's saying to them I, I see your pain I'm not just here to say, hey, God is a God of comfort, and so just be comforted in some comforted comfortability with a comfort blanket. 
go, church. Now he's saying, no, there's, there's suffering, there's distress here, even as we realize that there is a God that comforts. He's saying, I see the difficulty, and I can even identify with it. Paul is using collective language here. He's saying, we and our, he's not distancing, he's identifying, and he's embracing it, and he's sharing in it. But beyond that, he's taking a sober-eyed look at the pain and the challenges that are surrounding the church. And he's still pushing this young church to remember that though they are battered without and within, that the God of grace has not taken his eye off of them. Over the past five weeks, we've explored a few of these different battles, these everyday battles that we can find ourselves entangled in. We've, we've looked at disappointment. We've looked at doubt, money, worry, busyness. Lisa preached, she started our series and called us to consider how Jesus might meet us in our disappointment. Whether it's disappointments in other people or whether it's disappointments in our families of origin or parents that have let us down. Whether it's disappointment in ourselves, our hopes of how our lives would go. But then things happened and no longer am I on plan A or B or C like I'm on like plan Z now or like double A or double B. Like just there's disappointment there. Maybe there's even disappointment with God or the church or feeling that somewhere that you have been let down. And what does it mean for us to meet Jesus in that place? We uh, looked at the battles of doubt. Justin walked us through a vulnerable truth that uh, can be uncomfortable to admit in church when you're surrounded by the faithful. But doubts can nag and distract and they can paralyze. In week three, we took a practical turn towards our ongoing battle with money and we confessed that often our battles with money take a condemning turn on the one hand or a self-righteous turn on the other and both are battles with which we're often embroiled. The last two weeks, we've named the enemies of worry and busyness that can keep our souls ensnared and block us from following Jesus in trusting and in freeing ways. And these everyday battles, it's not a comprehensive list, by the way. Like we could just, uh, you know, there's others. We could have named anxiety or performance or fear, any number of things that occupy our hearts and minds and distract us from Jesus' invitations to faithfully follow him into light that is life with him, to take up his easy yoke and follow him. But even these that we've named in this past month, and some of you may be like, oh my word, like all of those, like are me, like, I'm, like it's everyday battles, plural, everyday's battles. Like, I don't, I don't know how you want to say it, but you're like, yeah, that's me. And you're wondering just how to shake free. You can look at the list and just say, man, I feel like I'm under siege half the time. What I want you to hear from the word of God for the people of God is that praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles. And that's comforting news. But it's not the only news that Paul shares in, with us. In chapter 4, the passage that Melissa read, Paul recognizes that all of the battles that we're waging, that they can forge their, their own kind of darkness in our lives. And the darkness, it actually gets met by the light of Christ with it. Verse 5 of chapter 4, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The thing, uh, the thing is that when we're in the everyday battles of the day, we can, there's a way that we can kind of get tunnel vision. 
Like we just sort of focus on this thing and this space that we're in and the fog of our personal wars that it can envelop us and they can um, dim the light of God's truth and God's word can, can frankly at times be neglected or just altogether forgotten. And we actually know this even in some of the language when we've talked about these everyday battles that we can use when we're discussing them. We can say things like doubt consumes us or that I'm overwhelmed with disappointment or that I'm buried in debt. All of which carries connotation of darkness and despair and enveloping shroud of struggle. And yet what Paul wants to do is he wants to, to blow away the fog and remind us that the God of comfort is able, is also the God who steps into our darkness and shines light, the light of his presence. He reminds us that we don't have to be afraid of the dark anymore. Um, a few years ago, I uh, remember I uh, uh, was with some friends and met some sort of friends of friends. We were at a, um, we were at a Final Four watching party. Uh, that's how I remember the story. It was it, it kind of remember where I was and wh who I was with. I met some folks, and uh, there was a woman that was there. I'll, I'll call her Kim. And Kim, she was a woman. She had, she had worked on the Hill for a long time, uh, was, was sort of a long time in politics. And somehow we got to talking about the, just sort of the grind uh, that can happen when you're always having to work to keep up appearances. And just sort of this, uh, where you're always wordsmithing, you're always protecting, you're sort of always being mindful of reputation. And she was just saying, like, just how it can be exhausting. And I remember in one of my incredibly uncomforting moments, I was like, yeah, that sounds terrible. Uh, you know, classic, <laughs> just pastoral response. And I remember she looks at me and she goes, well, I mean, surely, like, you understand, like, you, like you're a pastor, like, you understand what that's like, right? And I was like, oh, have you been to my church? <laughs> I said, no, it's actually quite the opposite of what I'm supposed to do. Rather than keeping up appearances, I actually want to tear them down. And then over the course of the next hour, I just, I just shared with her. I said, look, all of us are less certain than we let on. I mean, we're all more judgmental than we want to admit. We're all more hypocritical. At one point, you're like, you know, oh, what about hypocrisy in the church? And I was like, oh, it's worse than you. No. <laughs> I'm a pastor. I know. Like, whatever stories you got, I got more. <laughs> we're all less gracious. We're all less put together. We're less honorable than we want to let others know. That's what Jesus came for. Because he unmasks us of the shame and he shines a light in the enveloping darkness and bears with us as we walk with him towards fullness that is found in him. And when I remember, when, when I finished, I, I just remember her looking at me and then just sort of tenderly looking away. And she, and she just said it not to me, but almost to the cosmos. I remember her saying, that sounds like such a freeing way to live. I said, it is. It is a freeing way to live. And Paul goes on to say, it actually can be a new way to live. This is the crazy thing that Paul says in verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out the darkness. What is remarkable in this phrasing that Paul is using, let light shine out of the darkness, is that he's actually harnessing Genesis language. He's actually harnessing creation narrative language. 
all the way back in chapter 1 of Genesis. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. What Paul is tying God's presence with us in the midst of our battles with the origins of the world. You see, the thing is, the Bible starts the, the creation narrative by saying that what God saw, he looked out over the dark and over the deep, and there was chaos, and there was a tempest that was swirling there, and that there was darkness. But then God spoke light, and into the light, what was then created was the world in order, and the chaos went away, and there was now light that was present. And God is saying, listen, what, or what Paul is saying is to the Corinthian church is, look, I know that what you're experiencing right now Seems like a dark, sort of chaotic swirl of a storm. But what I want you to know is that the God of all comfort is speaking light into the dark chaoses of your life and that he is with you and that out of that dark chaos, because of the light of God, can emerge new life for you. Just like the first creation, when God made all things good, he's still working at bringing the light of himself, bringing the light of his son and the light of his spirit into the situation. And what can emerge from the everyday battles are everyday victories and new things that God wants to accomplish. Now, some of you at that point, I'm sure you're thinking, brilliant. Give me some. I'm buying. But how does it happen? How does God actually Shine his light into my life. He, there are a few different ways, frankly, through his word. The way that we know that what God is like is through the person of Christ. And the way that we know who Christ is like is through his word. The other way is through prayer. That God reveals himself through the scriptures, but he's not limited there. The spirit of God is active in the world and he's active in our lives, but we've got to settle ourselves long enough to talk to him and to listen to him and gain growing awareness of what he wants to say to us. But the other place... The, the other way where God shines light into our lives is through other people. And it's through confessing our struggles and our battles, our wins and our losses, our successes and our failures, confessing those to others who themselves are striving to follow Jesus. When Paul is saying to us, for God who said, let light shine out the darkness, one of the places where we see the face of Christ is in the faces of others who have surrendered to Christ and are ordering their lives around him. And here's the thing. One of the worst things you can do when facing one of these battles of doubt or disappointment or worry or whatever it is that you find yourself faced with, one of the worst things that you can do is to battle alone. And to battle in secret and battle in the dark. You don't win fights in the dark by yourself. Church, if you're struggling, if you're wrestling, then don't go it alone. Don't hide. Secrets have a gravity to them. They have a pull and they'll trap you, but confession and godly company, Christ-centered, tender compassion that reminds you of the links to which Christ went to free you and will walk with you in those everyday battles, well, that's a light that will shine in the darkness. And just a quick moment here. Small groups and small group leaders, let us be about this work of creating environments where those that are family can share their victories and their sorrows and can find freedom in the light of Jesus and then be set on mission to share with others where freedom is found. 
One of the things that I deeply appreciate about, about Paul's letter here and about what he's saying and, the, and about the Christian message, frankly, is this sober-minded reality that, that shows up. After sharing these rousing statements about not losing heart, about basking in the glorious light of God in Christ Jesus, he then takes a turn to remind our readers that, yes, God is with us, but it's not all butterflies and unicorns here. I don't know why I picked butterflies and unicorns. It felt like a place I would want to live. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Vacation, been in Vancouver. Um, verse 8, uh, he says this. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. Perplexed but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Paul takes a turn and he just says, listen, fam, let me tell you, God is with us, yes, but that doesn't mean that everyday battles will go away. It doesn't mean, uh, but what it does mean is that they don't overwhelm us. Um, some of you know this about me. I'm a boxing fan. Um, I, though I've never boxed myself, I grew up uh, watching boxing. Uh, my dad, he took me to the Golden Glove uh, amateur tournaments in Dallas when I was a kid. I remember going to the, um, uh, to the Olympic trials for the 1984 Olympics. That'll let you know how old uh, I was 10 then. You can do the rest of the math. Uh, and I remember seeing uh, two of my favorite fighters there at the time. I remember seeing heavyweight Philadelphia fighter Terrell Biggs, uh, who uh, qualified for the Olympics, and then my all, one of my all-time favorites, uh, Pernell Sweet Pea Whitaker out of Virginia Beach. Virginia qualified. Anybody? Nobody. Nobody knows Sweet Pea. That's okay. I'll, I'll take it. Um, and, I, and I know some of you now are like looking at me like, what a barbarian this guy is. Um, and then others of you are like, oh, Watson just elevated in status. We're all on a journey together. Um, one of the more fascinating boxers of all time is Mike Tyson. Um, in his prime, he was absolutely one of the most feared boxers. Um, and even today in his retirement, he's one of the most respected uh, boxers. Tyson, uh, he just had a public battle with demons when he was younger. And the arc of his life and his, and his life's story is both a cautionary tale and a heroic one. Um, I remember uh, one of his quotes. He's always amazing for quotes. Um, uh, one, when he was asked about uh, his approach to boxing in life, really, he said this. He said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Everybody has a plan. That's right, I just, I've been quoting Paul. Now Iron Mike. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And the thing is, life has a way of getting your attention and upending your plans. And this is so much of what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth. He's saying, listen, look to Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on him. But we still live in a world that is broken and that aims to break people. Paul says we're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but we're not forsaken. And we're never abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Even in this sober reality check of a statement, Paul is alerting us to the obvious that, yes, we are in battles every day and sometimes for long stretches, but the battle doesn't get the best of us. He's saying, listen, we're, we're hard-pressed, we are persecuted, we are struck down. These are things that we are. We are these things. We will be pressed. We will be persecuted. You won't always stay on your feet, friends. But we are not crushed. 
we never we, we are not given to despair we are not destroyed and we are never ever abandoned being a follower of Christ doesn't mean that we won't face battles or uh, a disappointment or doubt or worry or any of the things that we've worked through in the past month, but it does mean that they don't ultimately get the best of us. <laughs> when, um, when I was in eighth grade, I was on the swim team, which is remarkable because I actually don't like getting wet, but that's a whole nother deal. Um, so I was on the swim team, and by some miracle, uh, I was on the swim team, W.H. Gaston Junior High School, East Dallas. Um, and somehow we made the citywide swim meet, which was really curious because we, we weren't that good. We were sort of bedraggled, to be honest with you. Um, now, I wasn't the best swimmer, but I wasn't the worst one um, either. And I was always, I was very confident. I was like, I got this, I got this. I, I didn't, I, rarely did I get it. But... Um, <laughs> Now, just to, just to paint the, a picture for you, so I'm in eighth grade, so I'm still a little self-conscious as a swimmer, so I don't wear a Speedo, I just wear like soccer shorts. And nobody on our swim team wore Speedos, we're eighth grade guy, and we're like, no, I'm not wearing them, I'm doing those shorts, basketball, the longer the better, you know, like. Um, so I'm just wearing regular shorts, and um, uh, we're, you know, we're just gonna make a go of it. And so, um, at the, so I'm at the citywide uh, swim meet, and it's at, um, uh, this one pool, and it's like the big citywide pool, so, so it's the biggest pool we've ever been in. There's huge bleachers, like all the ones we'd been in before were kind of small, we're like, oh my gosh, this is, this is a big one. Um, and I'm swimming the 50 meter freestyle, which it's two links, so it's down there and back, all right? It's just kind of the fast thing. Now, I don't remember exactly what lane I was in. Now, the fastest swimmers are in the middle lanes. I was not there, so I'm in like two or three. I don't remember which one, but I know I was on the edge of it. Um, and so it's my turn to swim. I step up to the blocks, and I'm, and I'm wearing these black <laughs> soccer shorts, and I've got my goggles up there, and I'm ready and, uh, and ready for the gun. The gun sounds, and immediately uh, I, I, I jump in, and the force of the start and me jumping into the pool with such force, it makes my swim trunks go down to my knees. And so now I'm like, oh my God, like what's happening here? And so two things happen. One is I panic because I'm... I'm an eighth grade boy, and now my backside is like showing for every, the world to see. But I just keep swimming, because if I stop, put my feet down, then I'm disqualified. So I can't stop, and I think, all right, I'm in lane two or three, so all of the water that's splashing is covering me up. So I'm just swimming, and with every stroke, I'm like trying to pull it up. I'm just trying to give it a good go. And I think, all right, here's what I'm going to do. When I get to the wall, like try and get it. But when I get to the wall, what I'll do is I'll, is I'll do the flip, the kick flip. And when I do that, then I'll be able to, you know, get, get all the way up. So I get to the wall. I do the kick flip. But I know, you know, I'm not, you know, I can pick up. So I know I want to push off. Hang on, because we don't want round two of this thing to happen. So I jump on, and I hold to the waistband and I've you know kick flip so now I'm going back the other 25 yards and I'm giving it all I can and I get to the so finally I cross the finish line I stop I stand up I look at the the times to see where I finished I did not win <laughs> not first not second not third I don't know what place I came in but I did not medal but I finished I had my pants on <laughs> Some battles. <laughs> Doubt, disappointment, worry, 
I didn't win, but I was faithful. <laughs> I ran the race. <laughs> Kept your shorts on. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this story now. <laughs> Let me fix my eyes on my notes. <laughs> yeah, some battles. We don't come in first, and that's okay. That's not even our aim. We finish the race faithfully because we are hard-pressed in every way, but we're not crushed, family. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. And never abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Paul concludes the section of his letter by simply saying to the church, don't lose heart. Verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Verse 18, so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Yes, God is our light in our dark places. He is our hope amidst struggles. Yes, we will get knocked down, but we, we're never abandoned. And so then in that, don't lose heart. Paul follows it up by saying, this is how we don't lose heart, by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on the one that is ahead. Perseverance through the everyday battles requires that we fix our gaze ever and always on Christ, that we look to him in the scriptures and in the lives of those that are around us in our community of faith and the Spirit's activity in the world around us, that we continue to look to him in the midst of all of our battles. That's our hope. Let me pray for us.